You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and man, it's been a minute since we talked. Like, how the hell are you? How you doing? Uh, I hope you're doing well. I hope you filled your archery buck tag here in the great state of Wisconsin. The hunting has been fantastic over the last couple of weeks, I've seen a lot of bucks out and cruising. I've seen a lot of you guys knocking deer down. I've seen your pictures on Instagram. It's been pretty sweet. So uh, thanks for sending those over to me. And um, yeah, letting me follow along with your hunts as well. So uh, anyway, lots of things are going to be changing here in the next couple of weeks as uh, many of us join the ranks of the Orange Army and lead is flying all over the place. Um, it's been a heck of a few weeks for me. I uh, was not able to get a podcast out two weeks ago. You know, we drop episodes every two weeks and um, it's been really tough. I've learned my lesson. Uh, guys are really hard to get a hold of in the month of November and in late October, pretty much all of October. Uh, next year, I'm going to have several episodes recorded prior to heading into October and early November because with guest cancellations, uh, my own efforts to try to spend a little bit of time in the woods with my work schedule getting pretty crazy and uh, family getting sick. And as you can probably tell from my voice today, I am sick as well. So if I cough in your ear, man, I'm so sorry. That means I missed it in editing. So uh, but I'm going to do my very best. So uh, anyway, I lost my voice a few days ago and actually uh, have pushed recording this episode to the very last minute. 
uh, to, that I possibly could to get it out, hoping that my voice would kind of strengthen up a bit and I would be able to uh, come on and record something that doesn't sound like uh, a grizzly bear trying to talk to you. So we'll see how it goes. But anyway, I want to take this opportunity to kind of give you a recap of my season so far. Uh, and more than just telling you the events of my season, I want to share with you what I have learned throughout the year. Now, I try to take at least one thing away from each hunt, uh, whether it's it's something new, uh, maybe it's just something that can be improved upon or uh, something that I need to be reminded of. And uh, if, if I'm looking at this season from the perspective of, man, what can I learn? What can I improve on? This season has not disappointed. Uh, I have learned a ton. And I'm going to be honest with you. I only got to hunt uh, six times. So it is November uh, 16th, I believe, maybe November 17th. Yeah, November 17th, as I'm recording this right now. And uh, yeah, I've only been in the timber six different times. And I've probably learned as much from this season as I have from any other season. Uh, I, I saw multiple deer on each of my six hunts. I had deer within bow range on each and every hunt. And up to this point, uh, hunting strictly in the timber and close to bedding, uh, I haven't been hunting on large food sources. I haven't been hunting where I can see forever in a day uh, off in the distance. And, and even in hunting in tight cover, I have seen 22 deer, uh, 10 bucks and 12 does while on stand. And I've seen more obviously on the way in and on the way out. Uh, two of the bucks that I saw and had encounters with were mature bucks and the rest were small one and two year olds. So I would say that's a pretty good season, a pretty good record. I've really grown in my confidence and my ability to get myself on deer. Now getting those deer on the ground is another thing as you'll see as we get a little bit further into it. But before we get too far down the rabbit hole, I do want to remind you, if you have not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you access your podcasts. Uh, if you can, leave us a review. That really helps me out. Uh, lets others know that this is a podcast worth listening to. Uh, also, follow along with the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast on Instagram. We are teetering right on the 1,000 followers mark and toying around with doing some kind of giveaway. I'll let you know about that in the next episode. Uh, we were we were higher on Instagram. We had a lot more followers, and uh, it's actually pretty funny. I took my wife's advice, and I made a reel. Uh, I woke up one morning. I uh, had this stupid idea pop into my head. I made a reel. The reel got over 200,000 views, and uh, a bunch of people started following the page that have uh, no care in the world about the outdoors, about the state of Wisconsin. They just liked the reel, so they started following the page. And uh, it was it was hilarious. Every time I would post something that had to do with hunting, uh, I would actually lose a dozen or so followers. But uh, that slide has now stopped. And uh, I'm thinking about doing this little giveaway soon. So looking forward to that. Uh, so be on the lookout for that on Instagram. I'll be announcing it on there. So, all right, got all that stuff out of the way. Now it's time to chat a bit about my season so far. Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, then you know I did an episode a while back sort of outlining my plans for the season. And things worked out a little bit different than I anticipated, which, you know, is to be expected. Uh, but leading up to the opener, I thought that there was this awesome bean field that I thought was really going to play into my strategy for the early season. There's this bean field. It was one of the few bean fields on the properties or, or at least around the properties where I hunt. Most of what I'm hunting is corn. Uh, most of the properties that I'm hunting are planted in corn this year. And uh, I had this really nice oak ridge flanked by a lake on one side 
and some really nice CRP area, sort of rolling hills on the other side. And I thought it was going to be great. But a few things happened. First of all, the beans dried up super, super early this year. And if you're in southern Wisconsin, you you experienced that as well. The beans came out really, really early. Uh, by the time uh, September rolled around, the beans were pretty much all yellow. Uh, and by the time, uh, you know, two weeks or so before opening day, uh, the deer were no longer using this bean field. They just weren't coming out. I was able to glass this field a couple of times and saw a lot of deer during the summer. And then as we got closer to opening day, saw zero deer out in this field. Um and also, some of the bedding uh, that I keyed in on last year really wasn't coming into play this year. And the only reason that I can figure that that was going on is because of all the corn on the properties where I was hunting. Uh, you know, the 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 corn. I I I think the deer must have just been living in the corn. But I'm gonna, I'm going to get to that in just a few minutes. So uh, anyway, I also talked a lot about uh, all the acorn trees, all the oak trees that were uh, in this little strip of oaks leading out into this um, into this soybean field. And those acorns actually ended up falling, gosh, probably late August, maybe third week of August. And um, by the time September 10th rolled around, they were pretty much all gone. So I had to scramble a bit right at the end of August and early September. Uh, the properties with corn, I couldn't seem to uh, pick up any consistent daylight activity outside of the cornfields. The creek crossings that produced so well last year were just not producing this year. I mentioned in another podcast that uh, my trail cam strategy this summer sort of centered around these trail, uh, these creek crossings, and they were just not producing for me. Um, the bedding areas uh, that I was on in the past were not being used as consistently as they were last year, and uh, that corn is the only difference that I can think of on these properties. Uh, last year, they were all in beans, all in beans, and this year, all in corn. So here's my theory, and I could be totally wrong, and if you think I'm full of it, you think I'm wrong. If you know I'm wrong, please, please let me know. I want to know that I'm wrong if I'm wrong. So, uh, But I think my theory was confirmed when the corn came down. I, I think these deer were all bedded out in the corn. I think they were pretty much just staying there. And then when the corn came down, all of a sudden, boom, the bedding areas were hot again. The creek crossings uh, were being used again. There was sign popping up in the timber again. I was getting daylight images of deer on my trail cameras. Uh, and it was literally like a switch flipped. One day, no sign, very, very few deer. The next day, lots of sign, lots of deer. So maybe I'm wrong, but it really seems to me like those deer were just living in the corn. And uh, I probably could have adjusted to this somehow. I thought about still hunting my way through the corn like John Eberhardt talks about. Uh, I thought about setting up in some of the little drainage strips and just sort of glassing along the drainage strips and seeing if there were deer coming out or crossing them, you know, as you get close to uh, get close to last light. But to be honest with you, I have zero percent confidence setting up in a, you know, 100 plus or 200 plus acre cornfield, hoping I'm going to see some deer. But hey, maybe next time the rotation is all corn, I'll give it a shot. But Anyway, I ended up checking out a new property because my previous plans weren't quite working out about um, check it, check this new property about 10 days before the opener. And I was able to find some white oaks that were dropping with only about 10 days left. And uh, I'd found these trees right as they began to fall. And I mean, there was very, very little sign that the deer had hammered these acorns yet. And there were still a lot of acorns in the trees, uh, very, very few on the ground, but a lot still hanging in the trees and um, 
enough sort of spread throughout this little bottom area that I was pretty confident that I had found a good spot for opening day. So I threw up a camera, uh, didn't scout any further, and uh, I knew that that's probably where I was going to be given a south or an east wind or southeast wind or something like that on the opener. And to my pleasant surprise, I got some pictures of uh, an absolute stud nine point that disappeared right around the 15th of September. And uh, I had a nice young eight point hanging around pretty consistently uh, in this little, this little area eating on these acorns. Um, he was always in daylight every time I'd have him. I never really got any pictures of him at night. So I knew he was probably bedded close by. And I actually posted a picture of the eight point on the Wisconsin Sportsman Instagram account. I didn't post any pictures of the big nine, just in case any of you hooligans have figured out where it is that I'm hunting. So no need to draw attention to a mid 140s nine point daylighting on public land. Uh, I thought I had him absolutely pegged, thought I was going to get him, uh, but uh, things did not quite work out for that. So the opener comes, I get the right wind, I get out there super early, get all my gear set up. The stand is awesome. The ground is like walking on marbles. There's so many acorns and just to kind of set the spot up where you park, you have to walk through this little CRP area and then you get to the timber and just to the South of where this timber is, there's a big lake. And so it really pinches things down really, really nice. And so I thought it was going to be fantastic acorns all over the ground. Uh, and I didn't see anything on that first day until uh, last light, the deer had been really consistent uh, showing up on my trail cameras well before dark. And then the first day that I'm in there, I hadn't pressured the area at all. First day I'm in there, uh, I see nothing until last light. And that's when I kind of realized, I, I think I'd made a pretty serious miscalculation. I assumed that this spot, uh, was since it was close to the parking lot, then surely I thought the bedding must be further down this ridge, further back up into the timber. And uh, I was I was dead wrong. I didn't see nearly the number of deer that had been coming in routinely uh, on that first sit. None of the bucks came in. And uh, I began to think that I must have either bumped these deer on the way in or they saw me walking in and just kind of held tight wherever it was that they were betting. Um, so last light on opening day, two does come in. They're right underneath me. I get drawn back, but... I can't see my pins. There's uh, I look at my phone. There's two minutes of legal light left, and I just can't see through my peep sight. So I wait for them to feed off, climb down, and get out of there. The next week, I have a chance to get out again. And after looking at Onyx, I realized that I can access this spot from a different direction and actually make it work for a north wind, which was what I was going to have that evening. So I get to this new access uh, point. It's a much longer walk in, but I think it'll pay off. And you know, I'm thinking I can always kind of scout my way in and set up on fresh sign if I find something better on the way. And as I'm grabbing my stuff, I realize that I forgot my face paint. Now, I always wear face paint in the early season, uh, not to look cool for pictures, but because I feel naked without it. Like, I feel like my face needs to be uh, darkened out. I don't want my bright white face shining uh, there in the middle of the woods. So I grabbed this face mask that I have always used for turkey hunting. It's loose fitting. I think, oh, this will be great. Warmer afternoon. You know, it's it's going to be nice. So I get in there. I climb this giant white oak, which, by the way, if you've ever climbed a, a truly giant tree, uh, it sucks. I Like the size, I can barely get the strap of my platform all the way around this tree. So I get set up. Uh, I get 
So I finally get set up in this tree, and um, about an hour before dark, I hear acorns crunching directly behind me, and I freeze. Eventually, a doe comes right in, right in front of me, gives me a nice quartering away shot. I draw back, I take my time, I go to settle in, and my mask is impeding my sight window. Like, I just, I can't see. My mask has sort of twisted, and I can't see my sight. So I kind of have to roll my face around where I can finally see and I settled the 20-yard pin for just a, a what should have been a chip shot. And when I, when I release the bow, when I release a string, I guess, the string catches my mask and just about rips that mask off my face. And my first thought is, crap, I hope I miss that deer. Uh, and, and that brings me to lesson number one that I've learned this year. Number one. Don't hunt in something you haven't practiced shooting in, even if it's something as simple as a face mask. So the deer runs off. I give her some time, climb down. I can't find the arrow. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm just hoping to myself, I'm like, please, I hope I miss this deer. But uh, I ended up finding some blood. <clears throat> was able to follow blood for about 20 yards when uh, we, I came up on this really thick CRP stuff. And I decided to back out because I had – no way of knowing where I actually hit this deer. Um, you know, when it when the string grabbed my mask, it just it messed everything up. And so I had no clue where I'd actually hit this deer. I thought I was steady on the shot, um, but who knows what the mask had done. So uh, I backed out and uh, I tried to uh, get a dog tracker to come in to help because the blood was kind of kind of spotty. Uh, and I didn't want to go any further without some help if I could get it. And so I called every dog tracker within about two hours of me. None were available to help. And uh, it was going to be a warm night. So I really didn't feel good about my chances of leaving this deer to lay overnight. So I went back in, gave the deer about four hours after the shot, uh, went back with my wife, got on blood again. It was real spotty, uh, had a decent blood trail for just a little bit of the time. And it finally tapered off around the 150 yard mark. And, uh, yeah, I did not, I did not recover the deer, but I did learn, uh, another lesson though, through the, the course of tracking this deer, uh, the buck, the bucks that I had been getting on trail camera, I think had been bedding in some brushy clumps out in the middle of the CRP. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking where this doe had ran. She ran right back the direction that she came. And there are beds everywhere in this stuff, right off the parking lot. And uh, in these little brushy clumps, everything's rubbed up, obvious buck bedding um, all over the place. And so I'm thinking, crap, when I came in the other day and accessed this the first time, I blew out every deer that was heading into these acorns. Like, the, all total, they must have been 50 to 75 yards from from these oak trees. And so... Uh, yeah, they were either able to see me on the way in, uh, or they just they just blew out altogether and uh, never ended up seeing them. But uh, I didn't hear anything blowing when I went in, and uh, you know I'm assuming the deer just kind of you know slipped out the backside. So, uh, and actually, interestingly enough, uh, after I did not recover the deer, I did not get any other deer really on this trail camera. Uh, they had been bedding in some some you know those brushy clumps and. Uh, I actually didn't get them anymore on my trail cameras. So they did not respond well to the pressure that I'd put on this spot. There were a few acorns left on the ground, but nothing was really coming in. So I just kind of left that spot behind, left a camera there, 
I'll go back and check it after the season, but there has been zero activity on that, um, at least as of November 2nd when I went back and checked this trail camera again. So just to recap, uh, for September, two lessons that I learned. Number one, don't wear a stupid face mask hunting if you've never shot in it before. Like, it'll rip your face off. It's not a good thing. Don't wear a loose-fitting face mask especially, but if you've never shot in it before, don't take it out into the woods with you. Second lesson that I learned, if you're getting good bucks on camera, don't pass up good bedding habitat just because you think it's too close to the parking lot. It may only be good for a few days. They may blow out of there as soon as the pressure hits. But if I had stage hunted my way into this property or sat an observation set first, I may have been able to make a, a, a more informed play on these bucks instead of just you know diving right in and uh, bumping them out of there. And just like that, my September was over. Now, October began with some really, really warm temperatures, and I didn't really get out at all. You know, I was, I was kind of beating myself up over losing this doe. Uh, I was spending a ton of time shooting after that. I knew I had the entire first week of November off to hunt, and I knew better days were still ahead of me. So I was really in no rush to jump right back into the woods. And then uh, finally, we got a little cool snap. Uh, the weekend of October 16th, that Friday was the 15th, I believe, the the corn was being harvested on one of the properties uh, that I'd been hunting and or that I hunted last year, and um, I didn't want to burn any of my better spots. Uh, I wanted to save some of those for my rutcation coming up in November, so I went to a bedding area that I'd hunted last year. Uh, it's a long walk back, but sort of relatively easy access, and the deer typically bed about 200 yards off the crop field. And I had some really good encounters there early season last year when the deer were still kind of hitting the beans. So I wanted to scout my way in, see if any scrapes were opening up yet, see if I could find some fresh sign that I could set up over. And right as I start getting close to where it's, you know, kind of that time to really slow down, start taking your time, I start finding scrapes. Uh, there's one right on the edge of the field. So I follow the trail that leads to it and I find a few more and I know I'm heading right to the bedding. And uh, when I get to the point that I'm about 75 yards from the bedding, the scraping activity kind of tapers off, not a lot of scrapes anymore. The trail splits into a bunch of different directions, uh, you know, as a deer kind of split off into this bedding area. So I stop right there. I climb a tree. I do it real slow because I'm relatively certain at this point that I'm within 100 yards of bedded deer. So I want to take a lot of time. Don't want to make any noise. And... By now, it's probably close to 3 o'clock. I get my tether, my saddle all tethered in, uh, get my platform set. I go to pull my stuff up, and when I look up, there's a six-point standing about 45 yards away looking right in my direction coming out of the bedding area. Um, he's not spooked at all. He doesn't look as though he's been bumped at all. It's almost like he was looking for something. So he comes out, and he mills around a bit right underneath my tree, uh, hangs out for probably about 30 minutes. I mean, he was there for a long time. I got to take my phone out and film him and all kinds of stuff. So that was pretty sweet. But um, he was just looking around eating. And I, and I think what happened was he was bedded not far from me. And he heard the commotion of me climbing up into this tree. And I think he assumed that there must be a buck working some of these scrapes that were just, uh, you know, 20 or 30 yards from me. Uh, I think he was sort of intrigued, wanted to come in and investigate to see who was working them. 
when he didn't see another deer, he just kind of browsed around for a bit and then uh, finally ended up working his way back into the bedding area, uh, going down a different trail than the one he came out on. So uh, I very quickly get all my stuff up once he works his way off. And uh, basically, as soon as I get my stuff up, I see another deer walking on the other side of a slough there, about 80 yards to my west. And I can't tell what it is, but I think, eh, I'll grunt at it and we'll see. So I give it a little grunt and boom, the deer stops on a dime, marches right to the base of my tree. And, you know, it's just a little four point. Uh, he hangs out for a bit too, looking around for the source of the grunt, then finally follows the same trail that the six point had taken back up into the bedding. And I'm thinking, man, it must be that time of year. Like the bucks are really interested in figuring out uh, who's around right now, like who's who right now. Uh, you know, the first buck I think came out looking to see who was making noise. The second buck wanted to know who was doing the grunting. So I'm thinking this is, this is it. This is a good spot. And the deer are really responsive to, you know, different calls, uh, right now. And so thinking it's a really good time. And, uh, with about an hour of shooting light left, a small doe walks out, feeds around for a bit, then works past me toward the cornfield. And, uh, as soon as she gets out of sight, I grab my binos. I'm going to do some glassing and, uh, you know, when I, when I pull out my binoculars, my grunt tube falls to the ground and immediately I just kind of have this sinking feeling like, ugh, these other deer seem like they've been responsive to calls. And there my call is 20 feet below me. And sure enough, uh, right about this time, I uh, catch movement out of the corner of my eye. And uh, so I throw up the binoculars and I see three does come up out of the bedding area about 75 yards to my, uh, to my east and right behind them is a wide eight point. Like he's not huge, but he's probably 20 inches wide. So just a, a really nice deer. Uh, would have been really happy to get him, but I would have loved to call to him. And my grunt tube is 20 feet below me. No way I can call to him. So lesson number three for the year, when the tree, uh, when you're in the tree in the afternoon, you get to the tree, get your bow up as soon as possible. Like, Getting settled in can wait. Getting the rest of your stuff can wait. But get your bow up and get an arrow knocked right away. Then uh, then you can take your time sort of doing everything else. Uh, lesson number four that I learned, though, is always tie your grunt tube to yourself or a gear hanger or something. Uh, given how curious the the two younger bucks had been that night, uh, I'm... I think there's probably a good chance that that deer would have come in to investigate. I was in a really good scraping area. And uh, if I had been able to give, uh, you know, give a little grunt at him, I think he probably would have come in to kind of check things out. So um, the next day is an interesting one for this area. It was October 16th. And you probably know that that was the pheasant opener here in Wisconsin. And I knew I wanted to get in on that, uh, that eight point uh, that next afternoon on the 16th. But I also wanted to take advantage of the pheasant hunters pushing deer around the morning of the 16th. There were going to be a ton of guys out there. Uh, in fact, when I left that next morning, I think I saw probably close to 50 cars. I mean, guys were lined up along the road. It was just, it was ridiculous. So uh, I went on this particular morning into one of my better spots uh, prior to the pheasant opener. The deer really like to bed out in this really thick, nasty CRP stuff. And uh, just inside the timber, maybe 100 yards from the CRP, is another bedding area uh, that I would consider a primary bedding area. It gets used year-round. Um, but once the pheasant pressure hits, once the 
hunting pressure in general hits this property, the deer just sort of stack in to this little bitty 10 acre oval. So I set up on a little transition between the CRP where I knew the pheasant hunters would be and the primary bedding, hoping that they would kind of push the deer my way. Uh, now the season didn't actually open for pheasant until 9 a.m. Um, so I knew I had a little bit of time to, to wait and I knew that a lot of the action would probably be later in the morning, but about 730 Uh, I look over and I've got a young six point coming in and he beds down in the CRP around this little brushy clump of stuff about 50 yards from me. And uh, until pheasant opened up, that was actually all I saw. Uh, Then the, once the pheasant hunters came in, they sort of started working their way down. And uh, for the first hour, I didn't see anything. And uh, one thing that was really cool to actually get to watch though, was as the pheasant hunters came in and they got closer and closer to this little six point, Uh, He didn't blow out of there. He just kind of stood up and he would shift around this little clump of stuff and lay back down. And then as the pheasant hunters would go the other way, he would stand back up and he'd move to the other side and he'd bed back down. He wasn't going to blow out. He just wanted to keep that clump of brush between him and the pheasant hunters. So uh, something cool to hold on to for next year. You know, the the deer are going to hold tight for, uh, for as long as they possibly can. Uh, But anyway, so the pheasant hunters keep working. More and more guys are showing up. And then finally, about 1030, I hear something coming uh, from my north, coming to me from the north. uh, And I look up and I just see uh, a rack bouncing through the CRP, Uh, at least eight points, uh, lots of mass spread past his ears just a bit, long sweeping beams. I mean, just a freaking specimen of a white-tailed deer and and he's moving fast and he's moving fast straight at me. I mean, he's heading right to my tree. And, uh, so when I see him coming right at me, I go ahead and I grab my bow. Uh, he gets about 40 yards. I go ahead and draw because he hasn't even stopped running yet. And right before he steps out into this little shooting lane that I've got right in front of me, uh, he stops and he looks back and he listens and I'm holding and I'm holding and I'm holding. Then he takes off again all of a sudden and I have a pretty wide shooting lane. So as soon as he hits the lane, I give him a little man just to, to try to stop him. And to my surprise, he actually froze. He stopped right there, quartering away, eight yard shot, and I let it go. And I watched my arrow sink in, uh, getting about 22 inches of penetration, uh, but I hit him high. It was a pretty steep angle. Like I said, he came right to the base of the tree, uh, and I hit. I ended up hitting the deer high. Uh, he ran off. Uh, I think he's going to go down, you know, 40 yards away. He, he runs off and he kind of stops. And I'm thinking, okay, that's it. He's going to fall over. Boom, I got this. And uh, then he just kind of trots off after that. And, man, I tell you, I I lost it. Um, you know, this, this is one of those moments that I'd been planning for, I'd been waiting for, and it should have been absolutely perfect. The shot was perfect, I thought. Uh, you know, at least the shot opportunity was perfect, but my actual arrow placement was pretty questionable. Uh, he was already severely spooked. So I'm sure that had something to do with him. Just keeping on, keeping on like he did. Uh, immediately I start calling dog trackers because, you know, I shot him at eight yards. I'm glassing the ground with my binoculars. I don't see any blood anywhere. I didn't want to get down yet because I didn't want to bump this deer. So I start making phone calls, trying to get a tracker. Um, luckily actually this, uh, this deer ran right past one of my trail cameras. So when I got down, I was able to sort of confirm like, hey, I hit this deer exactly where I needed to hit him front to back. It's just a little bit high 
angling sort of down and up into the body cavity. So I think I probably should have gotten both lungs on this deer. Like I, I can't see a way around it, but I don't see any blood anywhere when I get down. So I'm just sick about it. Um, fast forward. I don't go after the other big eight that afternoon because I'm finally back out there with a, uh, with a dog tracker, find part of my arrow broken off, find a little bit of blood, but the dog never really gets good and locked in on this uh, deer's trail. And, uh, you know, unfortunately I, I don't recover the deer. I, uh, I go back and I grid search a few more times. Um, I actually spent about four hours, uh, the, the following Monday morning grid, grid searching, uh, in this area. And, uh, yeah, I just don't find him. Uh, by the way, if you're listening to this and you're in Southern Wisconsin and you find a large dead eight point this season, or when you're shed hunting this spring or whatever, reach out to me, please. I'll let you know exactly which property I was hunting on. Uh, I just want to know what happened to this thing. So if you happen to find a deer, let me know. I'd love to know if it's the one that, uh, that I shot. So, uh, I'm almost positive he's dead though. At this point, I, I haven't gotten any more pictures of him on trail camera. So, uh, yeah, I think the shot was fatal and, uh, just wasn't able to recover him. So, uh, you know, at this point I've had the best season of my life for getting on deer and also the worst season of my life. I am, uh, four hunts in, I've seen two mature deer already but I've also wounded two deer already, including the largest buck I've ever shot at and, uh, without recovering either one. And, um, so that kind of brings me to lessons number five and six that I've learned this year. Number five, uh, you know, shoot from an elevated position at home at really, really close ranges. Like I've always shot from a tree or shot from, from an elevated position, but I always do it, you know, 20 yards out, 30 yards out, 15 yards out, even, uh, this deer came in at eight yards and I was just, I just wasn't familiar with the angle that I needed to take. And so, uh, I have since shot a ton at, uh, my target very, very close to the tree. Um, and I want to make sure that that close and steep angled shot is one that I'm ready to make next time. Number six, uh, lesson number six that I've learned, uh, I, I learned that I, I have to take pleasure in the process, not just in the kill. I was pretty down for a while after shooting this buck. I mean, the doe shook me up uh, after shooting this buck. I mean, my confidence is shot. I'm bummed that I didn't get this deer. I'm bummed that this deer is now dead and not running around in the woods anymore. I'm pretty sure. And uh, in fact, you know, that was November 16th and I didn't hunt again until November 1st. I didn't even try to get out in the woods. I just... Uh, I kept playing the thing over and over in my mind, thinking what I should have done different. Uh, but I turned that into, uh, you know, fuel for practice, fuel for shooting. And I shot at least once a day, sometimes twice a day between October 16th and November 1st, just to make sure that I would be ready if that kind of opportunity presented itself again. But the one thing that kept me going, the one thing that kept me looking forward to November 1st and my rutcation that I was going to take uh, is that my scouting and my planning had paid off. Uh, because I knew the major trails in the area, uh, because I knew where the deer were bedding, and I knew where the next most likely bedding area was to this CRP where the pheasant hunters were, I put myself in a position to allow, uh, to allow the opportunity to arrow a legitimate trophy deer. And though, though that deer didn't, didn't end up coming home with me, 
the plan worked to perfection. The process worked. And, uh, you know, I just have to keep reminding myself that that's a freaking win, right? Like it's, it's not the win that I was looking for necessarily, uh, but it is a win nonetheless. And I've got that lesson to stick in my back pocket and take into the 2022 season with me. So I take off the last two weeks of October. I uh, don't do any hunting. Halloween rolls around. I do the whole trick-or-treat thing, which this year turned out to be uh, three days of trick-or-treat things instead of just one night of trick-or-treat thing. Uh, but uh, November 1st rolled around, and I was back in the woods. We had a straight west wind that day. The temperatures were cold. I went right back into that spot where I shot the big eight, and I did that for two reasons. Number one, after grid searching, I just stayed out of the area. I didn't go back in there. I didn't tra- check cameras anymore. I just stayed out. And I was hoping that if he was alive, I'd see him still hanging around, that I would you know, catch him cruising downwind of this bedding area. Uh, number two is that that fact that there's a major, major bedding area right there. I wanted to set up downwind of that and hopefully catch a buck uh, cruising through. So, uh, But the morning of October or November 1st, I ended up having a really, really good hunt that morning. I saw eight deer, four bucks, uh, all of which were on the move, kind of looking and moving around, you know, in a hurry to get from one place to another. Uh, but none of them were chasing. And I actually saw four does that day. And none of these does had bucks with them, like no bucks on their tail, no bucks following them, no bucks chasing them or anything like that. But these these bucks had been coming through, sort of checking things out. So I knew that, you know, there, there were still does using this bedding area and that if they were still using it, it was probably just a matter of time until things really got crazy in that area. So uh, that morning I ended up passing a small eight point, uh, hoping to hold out for something bigger. And I saw a seven point probably about 60 yards out. And then the, the two other bucks were just little, uh, just little forkies, you know, down the way. And uh, on this particular morning, I noticed that uh, the movement that had been coming real close to the tree where I set up and shot that buck on the 16th of October, uh, the movement was further down, about 60 yards further, uh, further down. So uh, anyway, have a great hunt. I get down. I can't hunt that afternoon because I've got to go pick up my kids, but I can be right back in there on November 2nd. So on November 2nd, that's exactly what I do. I go right back in there. I push in another 40 yards or so. And uh, to my delight, before the sun comes up, I hear chasing and grunting in the bedding area behind me. And uh, from the moment I got in the tree, I just, I knew it was the day. Like, you know, that, that feeling that you get when you hear something and you're pretty sure it's a deer and your heart just starts racing a little bit and sort of the, the adrenaline rush begins. Well, as soon as I got set up and in my stand or in my, on my platform, all tethered in uh, because I'm hunting out of a saddle as soon as I got there, I had that feeling the whole morning. Like I was just jacked. Something just was telling me it was the day. And I actually, I got a text from a buddy of mine. He said, are you out this morning? I said, yeah. He was like, you're going to kill one because today's the day. So anyway, I'm just pumped. I'm fired up. And uh, then I hear this chasing and grunting behind me before first light. And so I'm thinking, yeah, this is, this is it. Uh, this is going to be the day. Uh, so a little while later, uh, it gets to about 7.30, 7.45, and I hear some walking coming up out of this bedding area, and I look down, and it's the seven point from the day before, and I think, oh, cool, he's back. Uh, that's kind of neat, but I'll wait. Instead of taking this deer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait. I've got the whole week off. I'm just going to, you know, we'll wait and see what happens. And I think he's just going to cross 
out in front of me a little too far for a shot. I don't even grab my bow at this point. But instead of taking the trail that he had was walking on, kind of the trail he was on the day before, he stops and he turns right in the middle of this little lane and he starts heading straight for my tree. Just heads straight for me. So I grab the bow and uh, I'm going back and forth. Should I shoot him? Should I wait? Should I shoot him? Should I wait? I don't know. And then it hit me. Like this deer has my heart racing and it has been one hell of a tough year. And he's bigger than anything else I've killed with a bow to this point. Now, in the South, we rifle hunted during the rut, actually rifle hunted most of the year. Rifle season comes in in November, runs all the way through February. Our, our rut in South Alabama was in February. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we rifle hunted for most of the year. Not a lot of time to bow hunt. So this was going to be the biggest deer that I'd ever shot with a bow or could be the biggest deer I've ever shot with a bow uh, and, and recovered, right? Uh, given the fact that I didn't recover that eight point. So uh, I decided if this deer gives me a good shot, then I'm going to take it. And uh, he actually ended up coming through perfect. Uh, he, he, he came, stepped into my lane, quartering away, and I uh, gave him a little grunt to stop him. And he stopped, and I realized, man, this shot that I'm about to take on this deer is exactly the same shot that I got on the big eight a couple of weeks before. I mean – Eight yards away, exactly the same distance. Quartering away, standing almost at exactly the same angle. And uh, I was like, man, this is the shot that I've been practicing for. And uh, so, yeah, I let her rip. And I swear, I, I, you know, I think I hit that deer an inch or two away from where I hit the big eight point. Uh, I mean, it, it couldn't have been more than an inch or two from where I hit the eight point, um, probably a little higher than I thought, you know, I should have, uh, should have aimed a little lower. I think he dropped just a little bit at the shot. Uh, so I should have been aiming a little bit lower, but, uh, you know, hit it real close to where I hit that eight point at. And, uh, but this time the deer runs 20 yards and he piles up and, uh, <laughs> it was awesome. He was a small buck or is a small buck. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be one of those guys that sort of steps back and justifies why they shot a small buck. I don't think anyone should, right? Like it's your tag. It's your hunt. You do you. You do what makes your day. When you're out there in the woods, you've got the right to shoot any legal deer. And any of your hunting buddies, anybody around you, they shouldn't rag you about the size of your deer. They should give you a high five because, man, it's freaking awesome to kill a deer with a bow. So, but I do want to step back and mention a bit why this deer means so much to me, right? Like it's easy to look at deer and say, well, this one means a lot because he was the biggest deer I ever killed. Or this, this one means a lot because, you know, is the biggest one at this point. Or this one's the, you know, means a lot because look how cool his rack is. This deer means a lot for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's my first Midwestern deer. You know, coming up here from the South, I had to relearn a lot about uh, how I grew up hunting. Things were, things are just different here. You just approach things differently in the South. And so, uh, yeah, my first Midwestern deer, he's my first deer on public land in several years. He's my first archery deer on public land. Um, he's the culmination of an absolute ton of work, scouting and running cameras and making adjustments. He's, uh, he's meat on the table. He's the first deer that I've ever processed from beginning to end. 
including grinding my own burger right there in my garage. Uh, and I made a clean ethical shot after a pretty long and emotional rough patch where my confidence was just, I mean, in the pits, man, just, it was not good. You know, I mean, there were, there were thoughts in my mind that said, you know what? I think I might just want to hang up the bow for a while. Um, and for a while, meaning I don't think I want to bow hunt very much anymore. Um, you know, I actually talked to another guy, uh, the week after I, um, week after I shot that eight point and, uh, you know, I'd been practicing <clears throat> a lot to try to, uh, try to get better, trying to make sure that if that shot ever presented itself again, that I would be ready. And the guy said, yeah, you know what? That's why I quit bow hunting. I wounded a couple of deer and I decided, you know what? I'll just rifle hunt from now on. And I thought, man, that, that doesn't sound terrible right now. Because bow hunting, even though it had provided so much relaxation and so much excitement, it had also provided some pretty difficult, uh, difficult heartache sort of during that time. So, uh, but anyway, so this deer, when I look at his antlers on the wall, I've got a buddy of mine doing a Euro mount of him. Uh, it's always going to be a special memory. Uh, you can check out a picture of this deer on, uh, on our Instagram page. Uh, hell, I might put him as the cover for this episode. Who knows? Uh, and this, this brings me to sort of the last couple of lessons that I wanted to share in this episode. There are a few more that I've learned this year, but uh, I may save them for a later date. This is, these are lessons number seven, eight, and nine. Uh, lesson number seven that I learned, when you see the deer doing something, you got to move. And it, this is something that I knew already, um, but something that I needed to be reminded of and something that I think we all need to be reminded of, right? Like, don't watch deer all day at 60 yards and then go back the next day and sit in the exact same spot and watch deer at 60 yards again. Move in on them. Capitalize on that information that they're giving you. Uh, get yourself in a better position to actually get a shot the next year. Um, so <clears throat> capitalize on what you know to put yourself in position for a shot. Be mobile. Don't get tied down to just one spot. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a box blind. I love a ladder stand as much as the next guy. Uh, but if you don't have a mobile option like a, like a tree saddle or a light hang on or a climber, you're going to be out of the game a lot of times. Uh, lesson number eight, get a deer cart. <laughs> the 750 yard drag through the woods was an absolute killer. And, uh, you know, I had no good way of dragging this deer out. And when you shoot a deer on a Tuesday, and everyone else is at work, it's pretty much just you if you want to get this deer out of the woods in a timely manner. So uh, get yourself a deer cart. I'm going to get one of those for next year. Finally, uh, lesson number nine, man, hunt your hunt. You know, lots of guys talk about this, and, and it, it's been good to see social media kind of turn away from uh, only highlighting the big deer that get killed and sort of a lot of guys who are just saying, nah, man, hunt your hunt. Uh, but but that, that phrase, hunt your hunt, means something more to me now. In fact, uh, there was a guy that, that when I posted a picture of this deer, I, I sort of posted, um, you know, what this deer meant to me. And the guy, just, he responded with that, man, hunt your hunt. And, uh, you know, it meant a lot, meant a lot to me. And so um, I've never regretted shooting a deer before. But uh, when I shot this one, I had this little twinge of regret at first, Uh you know, like, hey, maybe should I have waited for bigger? And and the answer to that question, should I have waited for bigger, is hell no, I shouldn't have. 
This deer is perfect. The hunt was perfect. The the shot was perfect. The memory will be with me forever. And uh, I'll look at this rack and I'll see my entire 2021 archery season. And I'll remember that, man, I hit that deer and I double lunged them and he piled up 20 yards away. I'll remember the roller coaster that this year has been. I'll remember the roller coaster of last season. And, uh, man, I can look at this deer and be reminded and be grateful that, uh, you know, the Lord provided something for me that morning. The experience and also meat on the table and a fantastic animal. So um, with all of that, I'm going to shut this thing down. My voice has had about as much as it can take. I'm pretty sure it's gotten worse as I've talked. Uh, So thank you so much for listening. If you've put up with my scratchy, gravelly voice up to this point, I really appreciate you hanging in there. Uh, If you have some lessons from the year that you'd like to share, please reach out to me on Instagram to share them. I love hearing from the listeners. Uh, If you've had some success this year, tag me in your photos on Instagram. I'd love to check it out. I'd even like to have you possibly come on an episode to tell the story of your 2021 archery buck. I think we've got some guys lined up over the next couple of weeks to come and share their success stories. Maybe we can see what we can all learn from one another uh, from this past archery season or from this current archery season that... um, is soon about to butt right up against the gun season. So uh, this Saturday is the opening day of gun season here in Wisconsin. Good luck to all of you. I hope you get out. I think I will be out Saturday morning if I am brave enough to face the Orange Army. Last year, I did not get out until uh, the afternoon, and I made sure I stayed on private land. So uh, anyway, I think I'm going to get out on public this Saturday morning. Wear your orange. Stay safe. Have a good time. Don't shoot each other. That's dumb. Make sure you know what your target is. Make sure you know what you're aiming at. Make sure you know what is beyond your target. Until next time, get outside and enjoy the incredible resource that is ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.